So this weekend, one of the few sports things that's been going on other than Taiwanese baseball is the NFL draft. And what happens with this every year is all 32 NFL teams look at all the available players coming out of college and they pick the player that fits their system and shows the most promise for them. They pick the best player available and they say, hey, you're coming on my team. And every year, without fail, it happens that there's a number of picks that each team makes and the experts look at and they go, that makes no sense. I have no clue what they're doing. Fans are going nuts. Analysts are thinking, I don't have a clue what they're thinking. And the person that we're looking at today completely fits that bill. Like, this guy is not going to be good in the locker room. He will definitely not run a fast 40. Uh, but through his life, God gives us a picture of what it means to follow him. God gives us a picture of God's unrelenting love, mercy, compassion, and his plan for us to take us from disaster and move us into being the men and women that God created us to be. Sometimes to the point where it seems like nothing can stop God's plan. The person we're talking about today is a guy named Jacob. Jacob does not come in as the person who could never do anything wrong. Like this guy just, just has godliness coming out of his pores. Like this guy has some big issues. But through this, Jacob's life gives us hope that God can change our families. Jacob's life gives us a promise, gives us a picture, gives us something to look towards to say, man, if God could do that there, God could do that here with us in our family. And the way that God works through Jacob's life and works with Jacob is a picture of the good news. It's a picture of how God works with you and me. Because from the very beginning, God chose Jacob just like he chose us. Now God makes it clear over and over as he talks to Jacob and members of his family, you didn't choose me, I chose you first. And because of my role and my work and my power and my love poured out over your life, everything changes. Jacob is third in a line uh, of an extended family that God puts his finger on and says, these are people that I'm going to walk with. In fact, the last three quarters of the book of Genesis uh, is God following and God working through the life uh, of one really dysfunctional family. I've, every time I read Genesis, I think, man, this would make an amazing movie. But the thing is, is you read Genesis and you think that's probably not a movie that any of us should watch anytime soon because of how weird and messed up the family is. But still, it's God's plan being shown through the lens of a dysfunctional family. And we see this, and right away we see that God loves us. And through everything, God can work to make us more and more like him. So God chose Jacob just like he chose you and me. And Jacob's lifestyle, just like our lifestyle, apart from Jesus, creates enemies all around him. Like this begins early in his life. Uh, he's his, his mom's name is Rebecca and Jacob is Rebecca's favorite. She's got other kids, but Jacob is the absolute favorite. And so Jacob grows up entitled. Jacob grows up thinking that he can step on people. He can manipulate people. He can treat people like commodities and trash as long as it's gonna make him and his life better. He grows up with a twin brother and he ends up treating his brother out of his inheritance. So his brother becomes his enemy. His first wife, who he accidentally marries, like that happens, uh, becomes an enemy of him also because of the way that he treats her. His father-in-law, Laban, is the worst father-in-law in the world, and he's also his boss, and the two of them don't get along, and so there's another enemy. Jacob's second wife uh, is, is his first wife, Leah's sister, Rachel. He performs the sister switch, and that creates a series of disaster and, and, and ruin and heartache. 
just like in all of our lives, running away from God. And even as we try to follow God, there's still going to be path behind us of destruction and path behind us of broken relationships and things that is just difficult for us because all of us, if we have a pulse, we have sin in our life that's going to break things, that's going to leave ruin and destruction and bitterness and pain behind us. And we look at this and we begin to see how God uses our pain to pull us towards him. To say there's something better out there than the way that you're living your life. And that's what he does with Jacob. And Jacob begins to realize that God is the answer to his sin issue. In Genesis 32, Jacob is in a difficult spot that we're going to get to in a little bit. And he cries out to God. He begins to to pray. This life where he's heard about God but it's never really taken root and made any type of difference in his own life now begins to get flushed out in a time of difficulty. Jacob prayed, O God of my grandfather Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, you told me, return to your own land and to your relatives, and you promised me I will treat you kindly. I'm not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown me, your servant. When I left home and crossed the Jordan River, I owned nothing except a walking stick. Now my household fills two large camps, O Lord, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. I am afraid that he is coming back to attack me along with my wives and children. But you promised me, I will surely treat you kindly and I will multiply your descendants until they become as numerous as the sands along the seashore. There's too many to count. So Jacob looks at the way that his life and his decisions and the way that he has stepped on people throughout his life, the way that his entitlement attitude has created enemies all around him. And he sees that his twin brother, his brother, the person that was supposed to be close to him all throughout his life is now coming to attack him because of the way that he has been treated by Jacob. And Jacob cries out to God. He says, God, I need your help. I need you to work in my life. I need you to save me from what I have created. And that's a prayer that a lot of us have prayed, where we ask Jesus, I've created a mess. My family is a mess. My life is a mess. My financial life is a mess. Whatever mess it is, we ask God to help, and we know that there's hope always for change. And just like for us, God gets involved in a way that completely changes Jacob's life. This is in Genesis chapter 32. Jacob is headed back to his homeland, and to get there, he has to go through his brother's land. That's why he's scared about meeting his brothers. There's no other way around it. He has to walk through his brother's land. And so what he starts to do, because he's a guy who has a lot of wealth, he's a guy who has a lot of resources, is he begins sending gifts ahead to try and soften his brother, to try to to buy his brother's happiness, to buy a relationship with his brother. And he ends up sending everything that he owns ahead of him. And so he's camped out at this place at nighttime. And this is, a, this is what happens that completely changes Jacob's life. This is Genesis 32, verse 24. Jacob was all alone in the camp, and a man came, and he wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip, and he wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What's your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and you have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. 
And then he blessed Jacob there. And Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. So what happened right here is what Bible people call a theophany. This is where God takes on human form and jumps into real life in a way that the people in the story can completely identify with. In the book of Joshua, a few weeks ago, we read in shape that that the angel of God took on the form of a warrior. And for Joshua, that meant something. In the book of Isaiah and in the book of Ezekiel, he takes on the form of a king. And here, it's a person that Jacob cannot manipulate. It's a wrestler. It's somebody that he can't just push aside and step on and continue to abuse and mistreat as he walks through life. Let's not miss the fact that God let Jacob win. This is kind of like as a parent when you're wrestling with your kids and your 42-pounder somehow, quote-unquote, pins you. They're not that strong. You could, do, you could pin them in a second. But here, if God absolutely destroyed Jacob like he could have, the story just stops. But God wants to teach Jacob a lesson. God gets involved in a way that completely changes Jacob's life. Jacob doesn't make himself better. God gives him an experience. God gives him a reminder of how actually powerless he really is. It's God's grace being poured out over human sin and completely transforming human nature and changing the way that we do life. It's changing us from the inside out. It wasn't just a hip issue with Jacob that happened. It was a heart issue that God overtook and God began to lead him into a new way of living. Man, thousands of years after this story, this was thousands of year before, years before Jesus, we can look at this story through the lens of the cross, which is the best example of God getting involved in our lives in a way where it frees us from our sin, where it takes away our desire to live following our own painful, sinful ways of living and gives us new desires and new power to carry those things out. That's God jumping into your life and my life and in the midst of a pandemic where we're surrounded by our family which reminds us from time to time of how broken and how sinful we are and how God begins to work even our families into looking more like him, into treating people more like Jesus would treat us. And so out of his encounter with God, Jacob's life has changed. Because of God's action in Jacob's life, Jacob's ambition to achieve through his own wit and strength is transformed into an ambition and a desire to live in humility. This brother who he had cheated out of his inheritance, who he's trying to buy his acceptance and buy his friendship, Jacob goes to meet him in the next chapter. And instead of saying, hey, I'm a big guy, I've got tons of wealth, you've seen everything that I have, you should let me go because I'm doing so much better in my life than you are. You know, like continuing to to lead into the dysfunction that he's created. Jacob falls down before his brother and and bows down to his brother in an attitude of contrition and of apology because his life has been changed. His hip is a reminder of the fact that he needed to change. It's something that he carried with him. The coward who would run from bad situations that he created is now limping with confidence, limping with faith, limping with humility, limping now with righteousness and a willingness to do things God's way. He's limping into a situation where God is going to be demonstrated, where God's love is going to be poured out because God changed his heart 
And in doing so, he changed his family. Tuesday night in our region group, one of the guys said something that, that really jumps out from this story to me. He's talking about the difference that God has made in his heart over the last few weeks. And he said growing up and, and you know, getting married and then having all those kind of husband-wife difficulties, he said, I didn't think that I deserved peace. I didn't think I deserved to be a merciful person. I didn't think I deserved to have compassion on my wife and on my kids because I'm a bad guy. But God is showing me that his spirit in me isn't about what I deserve. It's about what God graciously gives to me. And through the life of someone like Jacob, we begin to see God's ability to give us so much better than we deserve. And that that doesn't just stay with us, but it flows through us into our family. And Jesus gives us a different way of looking at our families. One is from a way high up, like zoomed out 40,000 feet level of looking at our families. And he shows us right away that through every single family in the Bible is that there is always going to be family dysfunction, right? Until Jesus comes back and everything is made new, we will always have dysfunctional families. There's always going to be some part of our mom, dad, brother, sister, husband, white relationships that just aren't completely right. But one day, we're gonna live in a relationship with Jesus where everything is good, where death has been undone, where hurt and pain are gone, where crying and tears and the way that people have treated us that break us and the way that we have treated other people hurts them and hurts us. We don't even wanna look back at it and think about the husbands and wives and sisters and brothers and moms and dads and sons and daughters that we used to be because it hurts us that much. One day, all of that will be gone. That's what Jesus promises us is that our family dysfunction that we see now, he is adopting us into a family with him where every single wrong we could ever imagine is made right. That's the good news of Jesus. And then if you zoom way in and you, you look at the people that are around you right now, the house where you're at right now or the house you grew up in, you begin to see that the dysfunction, even if it isn't our fault, it's our opportunity to live like Jesus would live. It might not be your fault that your marriage is the way that it is right now. It might not be your fault that your relationship with your kids or your siblings is the way that it is right now. It might not be your fault that your relationship with your parents is the way that it is right now. But it's your opportunity to let God's light, God's power, God's spirit shine through you for you to be a light in the midst of the darkness that you call home. That's how we have hope for change, even in our families, is because God has changed our hearts. God has changed our habits. God has given us new abilities to do new things and live for him in new ways and have desires to follow him where we never would have followed him before. And God sends us into our families to make a difference. And so I want to give us four things as we close today. How can I practically do that, especially as we're sheltered in place right now? How can I live out God's hope for my family? How can I see change happen like God used Jacob for change in his family? And the first one is we don't give up on family members. We don't give up on family members. We continue to be the people who expect the best out of other people because that's how God looks at you and me. We are bought with the price. We are adopted as sons and daughters into his family the moment that we ask for forgiveness and the moment that we turn around to come back to him. 
And every time we sin, that's a reflection of God expecting the best of us even when we can't deliver. And we ask for forgiveness. And every single time God says, I forgive you, I will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So we don't give up on family members, even when it hurts, even when we look foolish, by believing that this time they're going to change. We don't give up. Second thing is we pray for our families. This sounds completely basic, pray. Like that's the answer to everything, Jesus and prayer. But prayer brings God's power into our dysfunctional families. And Jacob actually models this. What are, what are some ways that we can pray for our spouses? Because if you're sitting there on the couch and you're thinking, I have no clue how to do this without looking like a buffoon, here are three things that Jacob does. Because we've seen all along that he's not that great of a guy. So if he can pray well, we can pray well also. And this is in the, the middle part uh, of Genesis 32. In verse 9, he prays scripture. He's repeating things that God told him. He says, you promised me. Praying scripture, praying things that we read in the Bible over somebody else's life, that's telling God what he told us to tell him. We're just using the words that he wrote to say, hey, God, this is what I want you to do. So you can pray scripture. Second thing, next verse, in verse 10, he prays with thanksgiving. He says, I'm not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness that you have shown me. The more gratitude and the more thanksgiving we build up in our hearts towards God and towards our family, the more good things we're going to get to see because our mind is already going in that looking toward gratitude, looking toward good things. The third way that Jacob prays for his family and it's hope for people like us who have no clue how to pray for people is he makes clear requests for God. Verse 11, he says, oh Lord, please rescue me from, my hand, from the hand of my brother Esau. Like that's clear. This guy, he's bigger than me. I don't want him to pummel me. God, please help me. It's clear and God answers his request. So we don't give up. We pray for our families. Third, we recognize that some family members are just different from us and we don't manipulate them into being like us. Jacob grew up as his mom's favorite. He was the son that she gave everything to. He grew up entitled because mom wanted him to grow up to be just like her. And in our families, we have people that we are built to love, that we are commanded to love, who might be nothing like us. Over the last five weeks, as we've been sheltered in place, uh, I've got to see a totally new side of my daughter, Ellie. And Ellie is nothing like me, and she is better than me in so many ways. And I'm so grateful for the ways where I've been able to take my foot off the, hey, you need to do everything just like dad pedal and let Ellie be Ellie. Because I get to see God's creativity, God's goodness, God's blessing inside of her. And it's an awesome moment for me as a dad to look at my daughter and just be blown away of how great God made her. Because if she's just like me, that's a waste. She is completely different and she is completely wonderful and I am grateful for the way that God made her nothing like me. And the last way is we keep our side of the street clean. We keep our side of the street clean. When Jacob goes to make peace with Esau, he could have gone up to him, you know, chest puffed out, chin up, and say, hey, this is mom and dad's fault. I hate you, but it's not really my fault. It's their fault. And he just kind of brushed shoulders and walked by. But instead, he doesn't do that. He apologizes for everything that he can. He's the one who stole the birthright. He's the one who cheated his brother. He's the one who lied to his parents in a way that destroyed his brother's life. And he apologizes for all of that. 
It's a moment of contrition as he keeps his side of the street clean. And as you watch this today, I've got no clue what's going on in your family life in that dynamic and in that pain and in those battles. But you do. And as much as it depends on us, we want to be people who live in a way that makes Jesus look good. It means that, yeah, we're going to apologize for everything that we need to on us. And we're going to do everything we can to live a new life the way that God created us, that God built us, so that through us, God can use us to be light in a dark world. That's what Jesus did. That's the hope of Jesus coming into the world to save sinners like us from the penalties and the destruction and the damage of our sin. That's what he did through Jesus and that's what he wants to do in your life and mine. If you're watching this today and you've never made the decision to become a Christian, I'm gonna give you the chance to do that right now. It comes down to three things. The first one of those is that God loves you. He always has, he always will, and today he's calling you to follow him. Two, there are things in all of our lives, mine included, called sin, which push us away from God. And Jesus came into the world to end that separation and to bring us into relationship with God. And if it's your day today to say yes to Jesus, I just want you to text your name to the number that's at the bottom of the screen and someone will call you and pray with you today. And you can give your life to Jesus. And if you're in the middle of a situation like Jacob where your family is a mess and you want God to get involved for God to work through you to bring healing to your family, I encourage you to do the same. To text your name to the number at the bottom of the screen and someone's gonna call you and pray with you and you're gonna experience God's restoration, God's hope for change, not just in your heart but in your family. We're gonna go back into worship right now and we're gonna worship the God who came to rescue us and to save us.